Uh, welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Shanu Prasad and I'm joined by Jo Lewin. And we are Hi. very excited to be talking to Yotam uh, Otolenghi and uh, Issa Belfraj about their new book, Flavor. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you for having us. So I wanted to say, Yotam, congratulations on your eighth book. And Issa, I believe this is your first book. Um, yeah. How does it feel? Easter is probably feeling a little bit more uh, excited just because it's her first one, so I'll let her go first. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, all very, very surreal. Pinching myself every day. Not really sure how I got here, but um, yeah, very exciting. <laughs> well, that actually leads me to my first question, which is, Yotam, how do you decide who, are you, who you're going to collaborate with on your cookbooks? How did, how did uh, Easter get picked for this one? <laughs> uh, so... Uh, I guess Easter thinks she's very lucky and I think she's very clever. Uh, and I guess it's kind of a combination of being clever and being lucky. And, um, and yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I operate a small test kitchen, which is nothing like, you know, the Noma scientific lab that people imagine. It's a very simple home kitchen with basic appliances where we produce recipes for home cooks. And that's, that's what the test kitchen is all about. And um, Anista was working in um, my, one of my restaurants, Nopi, uh, for, for uh, close to a year. Unbeknownst to me, she only told me last night she didn't do a great job. But uh, that's a different <laughs> story. <laughs> but uh, someone thought she'd be a perfect candidate for the test kitchen. Uh, because they realized how creative she was and how much knowledge she has. Because working in the test kitchen is really... Uh, requires uh, quite a lot of um, knowledge about different ingredients and being able to connect and be creative and invent new things and put things that uh, don't quite work, make them work. Uh, so it's a lot about fixing. So you need to have a broad knowledge, not so, so much a deep knowledge, but more of a, a wide knowledge. And Easter definitely has that. And also, you know, the general requirement for someone who does a great job, perfectionism, you know, something that, you know, I know quite a lot about. And, and the idea that, you know, you never let a dish to rest until you know that it hits the spot, uh, which Easter can tell you one or two things about. So, yeah. So, yeah, I think she, I think she, she was lucky in a sense because it's a job that it's a great job to work in, in the Otolenghi Test Kitchen. It's a very creative place. There's... The pressure is to uh, to is to uh, it's not like restaurant pressure. It's a different kind of pressure. You want to yeah. do the best you can, uh, but it's less kind of day to day stressful. Um, and she's just been very good, and she's 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 an amazing cook and an amazing creator. So that's that's how she ended up there. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Uh, would you uh, would you agree with that? Is does this is feels like a pretty much like a dream? Yeah, a, a total, total dream. It's, it's funny because um, I actually didn't know, when I was working at Nopi, I didn't know that the test kitchen existed. So when I was offered this opportunity to trial, I thought it sounded like this magical land that couldn't possibly exist. Like, how could you, how could you possibly have such a creative, wonderful job with such an incredible person and work in that field, but without having to do 60, 70 hours a week and have no social life? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can I can imagine. I kind of feel the same way about my job. So um, I, I, I feel I, I see how you feel. Um, I wanted to ask what was what's the process like when you're when you're actually starting and putting together the um, a cookbook? Is Yodam uh, have you found that each cookbook has sort of come together in a in a similar way, or did you do something different? I approach it this this cook differently to your other ones. 
Similar and different. So the similar bit of the process is that <clears throat> we always start with a, 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 a a list or, or a repertoire of recipes that we really love and want to feature. And every time I work with a new um, collaborator, because I often collaborate on my book, I always say, don't conceptualize the book, just bring together all the recipes you really love to put out there because that's what people will connect to, great recipes, yep. and do all the conceptualizing later, which is exactly what we did. So uh, we knew it wanted, we wanted a vegetable book, uh, because I haven't published a recipe-focused uh, book since um, 2014, which is when Plenty More was published. Plenty More, that's, yep. So that's six years ago. Um, so it had to be a vegetable book. So we put together all the vegetable recipes that we've published over this time in, in various publications, The Guardian, The New York Times, and all sorts of places that we publish recipes and looked at them, it was a very long list, and Ista and I had to choose our favorites. And those favorites, those 40, 50 recipes that we knew were kind of killer recipes, you know, the ones that you just want to yep. cook over and over again. Once we had them, them put together, then we started having conversation, okay, so what this book is about, what is the particular angle, uh, what do we want to add to, to this now that we've got the core? And, um, and then this is where, Easter's contribution has re become really prominent in the sense that what makes this there's two things that makes this make this book stand out or be or uh, be different to plenty and plenty more, which are the previous vegetable books. One of them is the fact that Easter's background is really you could see it on a, on many pages or most of the pages I would say because um, Easter has a really interesting background that involves a lot of knowledge of South American, particularly Mexican and Brazilian food uh, because of her heritage, Italian, some a really kind of deep knowledge in, in bits of Chinese cooking, cookery. And, um, and that really helped to shape, give the recipes a particular uh, angle or a particular yep. style. Uh, so that is the one thing that distinguishes this book from previous ones. And the other uh, is that we, once we've had the recipes we wanted, we tried to really understand, like look, deeply what goes on here, what's going on. Uh, when you find a great vegetarian recipe or a vegan or just a vegetable focus recipe, what makes it so good? So we tried to, we divided the rest of the book into chapters that captured that thing. So one time it was a process like the browning or the charring that happens often when you cook something. Yep. Other times it was a particular ingredient like, you know, acidity or fat or different types of fats playing together or different types of sweetness working together so it was more like a flavor profile or, or of nails. so sometimes it was an ingredient we thought we have to have a chapter that really shows how algae like the garlics and the onions of these worlds and the leeks contribute to creating great vegetable recipes so there was just no clarity in my head and Easter's head what these chapters are because it, they were just different categories. One of them was an ingredient, the other one was a process. And then our colleague, um, Tara Wigley, who's a really incredibly clever person, looked at all these chapters and she had this idea about the three P's, the pairing, the produce and the process, which capture what was this book, which is sometimes a dish is great because of the pairing, a particular pairing. Sometimes it, it great, it's great because the pro process happens, like the charring, the smokiness, when you take uh, something like an aubergine and burn it, burn the shit out of it and you get that kind of smokiness in it. Uh, and sometimes it's about, um, it's about a produce where you kind of chuck, 
you know, you, you uh, add lots of mushrooms, different types of mushrooms, yep. some, some dried, some fresh, and you get the incredible mushroom lasagna that we have in this book. Uh, and that became the structure of the book. The pairing, the process, and the produce are the way we look at recipes and, and kind of break them down and understand what's going on. Um, yeah, it's really fantastic. Um, I read through the book, um, I'm, I, a manuscript of it, and I can't wait to actually get my finished my finished copy, which I should be getting in the next couple of days. Joe's very lucky and already got hers and has already, has already cooked one of the recipes um, out of the book, which sounds amazing. And um, I'm definitely going to be trying that one myself. Um, but uh, I, I, I noticed that there was, there's quite a lot of... Um, uh, like uh, information that you give to um, that you give to the reader um, about e each of those sections, which is fantastic, and it, it reads in such a wonderful way. Like I literally read read your cookbook cover to cover, which is not something <laughs> I do with a lot of cookbooks. It's unusual, uh, huh? Yeah. So I was just curious as to is that sort of how you'd like people to approach the book, um, or do you think that people like do you think people get the most out of it if they kind of sort of you know explore the book kind of from starting to you know, the beginning and kind of working their way through, or do you think people can or, or are you happy for people just to dive in wherever looks appealing to them and just make something and then kind of maybe go back and, you know, see why, why it was so great? I think first and foremost, it's a cookbook. It's a recipe book. And I think that's really important. So for, for me, the, 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 the first point of contact should be the recipes. Uh, because that's how I look at cookbooks. I mean, there's a lot of theory books. I read them very differently. But cookbooks are the ones that you open a recipe, particularly if it's got a, a sexy picture, and you go like, that's what I want. You know, that's yeah. what I want to eat. That's what I want to cook. And, I, and I, I, this is, I think this is all Easter, and I've always had that as our top priority. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, for those at home, I'm pointing to the potato and gochujang go, go braised eggs, which is like an amazing like potato hash brown delicious thing with heaps of fried eggs and chili and Korean flavoring. Stuff on it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yum. Looks amazing. Egg. Totally going to make that for Sunday brunch this week. <laughs> yeah, definitely the right thing for Sunday brunch. That's just what you want. I mean, and the eggs make it, and all the rest is just fantastic. And and so that was it. Like you know, a picture like that and a description that makes you drool. That's our point of contact first. But we also wanted to give the, re the readers something extra, something special. That's those kind of chapters of theory, which for some people would probably say, "Oh, that's just not for me." but others re that are interested in knowing what's going on, what they can take out of this book, uh, then, then that's that extra. And, I, and, I, and again, it was because it's a third in this, in a way it's a third in the series of vegetable books, plenty, plenty more now, P3 or flavor, um, <laughs> is, uh, is really for us to, we offer the reader not just the standard 100 plus recipes, but also some theories, some ideas, some uh, funny anecdotes about how things came about, some biographical notes, all these kind of things that just make the book a little bit more personal and different, but still doesn't take anything away from the practicality and the deliciousness of the, of the recipes. Um, I also thought it was really uh, fantastic how you've uh, given options to people so that they can adapt the recipes if they do want to, if, you know, because as you said, it's not a vegan book, um, but that you can make the recipes um, vegan if you want to you can add some other things if you're if you're not an anchovy fan like I'm really sorry but I really just I can taste them in anything no, no matter how small amount of anchovy <laughs> you put in something I can always tell um, but that you can you can you know you, you explain to people how they can adjust uh, adjust the flavoring so um, was that important to you and and if, I guess if when you're in the test kitchen did you test out the recipes in different ways to 
kind of to make sure that those those alternatives would would kind of would work or are you because of your skills as a you know as chefs is that something that you kind of just know from your from your experience um i think it's something that we both know from our experience but because we are sort of both perfectionists and wanted the recipes to be perfect um i'd say that for, for the majority of recipes where we give other options we have tried those options like for example the um, stuffed aubergine rolls and a coconut dal, there's an option mm. to stuff them with paneer or with yep. tofu, we definitely tried, and the tofu one honestly is just as good as the paneer. Uh, <laughs> same goes for all of the recipes uh, where we where we say you can use uh, light soy sauce instead of fish sauce, we've definitely yep. tried those. Um, there are a few recipes, I mean if you don't like anchovies, I think we mentioned a couple of times throughout the book that and another uh, something that you could really uh, another really good ingredient to use in its place would be like finely chopped up capers or chopped up yep. olives. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah. Just to add that uh, you know the, the 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 book definitely has vegans and vegetarians in mind, but we take a more kind of relaxed approach to these titles. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's at least 50, 60, 70 recipes in the book that are perfectly good for vegans either as they are or with slight adjustments and then the rest are vegetarian. Uh, but we also, we are not pretending that we're living in a world where we don't consume meat and fish, you know, yeah. because we do. This is a book that just celebrates vegetables. That's, that's what we're trying to do. We're not putting labels, we're not labeling so. anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're just, we're just celebrating vegetables. And um, like, uh, Carl, my husband, made the Café de Paris sauce a couple of days ago for the, that goes with a whole roasted celeriac. And like you, uh, he doesn't like anchovies. someone else. <laughs> he, does, he, does, he can tolerate them if I sneak them because he doesn't always necessarily uh, <laughs> notice when I, when I sneak them into things because I put them everywhere. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but, with, with that, but well, yeah, I don't think he can quite bring himself to do that. So he, he made the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, simply just didn't put the anchovies in it was still absolutely fine there's so much flavor there with you know with the capers and the curry powder and the, and the and the cream and all the herbs that go in um tarragon and and, and basil so it essentially ended up being something and um, i'd say almost as good as so it, it's just not very prescriptive prescriptive you know we're just yeah. letting you make all sorts of decisions along the way yeah, and I great. think something that's really interesting in this book in particular is that because you're giving us so much of the, um, the theory behind things, you kind of can make your own substitutions because you're telling us what, what the, the purpose of the anchovy is or the purpose of the tofu versus the paneer. And so it gives you, it gives, it kind of empowers you as a cook to go, okay, I know something else that tastes kind of like that or has those properties. I think that's Absolutely. a really important point, actually. I think that was one of the things that we wanted to get across through the book is that if you do, you know, find the recipes you love and get to know them and cook them over and over again and hopefully read a bit of the theory um, and then you know, use what you've practiced to sort of come up with your own, your own combinations and your own um, versions of dishes. Um, we've got a section at the back um, which is just about flavor bombs and it um, sort of picks out uh, recipes within recipes and like oils and butters and marinades and mm. you know we really want you to to make those and then use those to sort of make your own dishes you know use the theory that you've learned to to create things yourself and to become a more confident and a better cook 
absolutely. absolutely. That 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 page was. I love looking at that page, and I was just um, my mouth. <laughs> I stupidly was reading the book before I had eaten any food for like like in between meals, which was a really really bad idea. And you think I would have learned by now that that is never the time to be um, <laughs> to be doing something like that. But I was I was curious if there's any um, there were because there are like I think twenty different flavor bombs. There's there's a lot. Is there were there any is there any particular ones that are pretty much you know your kind of go to ones that would always you, I, if I like opened your you know, pantry or, or a fridge door that you, I would definitely, you know, see in there. Just, just personally, just curious. Um, <laughs> so, um, I mean, there are, and I don't have something that is just a, a permanent feature, but uh, there's a couple of things that are on the range between a chili oil and a chili sauce. And, uh, and I have one of those, you know, like the numbing oil or the fresh chili sauce. And I always have one of those in my fridge which um, is there for two reasons I, 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 all, one is for a shortcut like you know like uh, Easter uh, said you know it's it's something that you have there and then may, maybe if I come home from work and I just want to make rice and some vegetables I don't need to think of how to create all these layers of flavors out of scr from scratch I take one of those and pour that on top and it's kind of does the work for you um, <coughs> so that's one reason and the other reason is if you have uh, like picky eaters, like younger people who do not eat chili or do not like complex flavor, then you can enhance your food uh, Without, with that yeah. while giving kind of the more bland things to the other. So I put young kids. So the, those flavor bombs really work um, for the for those two particular reasons, either as shortcuts or if you want to enhance your food uh, while others are kind of happy with something a little bit less uh, less, less firework. Yes, <laughs> I can definitely, I can definitely see that working very well for families where I'm very familiar with, uh, yeah, seven different, seven people in the family and each person likes something different. You want to, you don't want to make seven different things. So you can definitely adjust, adjust accordingly. Um, <laughs> I was curious, uh, was, you know, with, as you're saying, you're saying before that, um, you know, is to bring such like a, um, you know, uh, all this experience in um, different cuisines, um, you know, to the table. Was was there anything that if readers have, you know, have, which I know a lot of our, um, a lot of our customers have all of your, all of your cookbooks and some of them must have them seven or eight times because they seem to be buying a lot of them in multiples. Um, is there, um, is there anything that they might be surprised, sort of any sort of flavour profiles or things they might be surprised to see in this book that, you know, that they, that might be a bit different from what they've seen previously in your other, in your other books? Yes, I'm, I'm quite proud of the fact that this book, that every book is slightly different, but different from the other one. And I, this is kind of my mission is to make books that feel genuinely different from previous books. It, it was very, it's always very important for me. I, I just, I, I had to judge on other, I rely on other people's judgment on whether I succeeded or not, but, I, but the intention is always there. And I think for this collaborate for this, in this particular book, the collaboration with East has really brought on, on, in some different ideas that um, may have appeared here and there in Ottolenghi recipes before, but not to the extent that uh, they do here. Uh, so just one example, um, again, like this shift from lemons to limes, you know, I've always yeah. championed lemons and your know, lemons are on, on, on the cover. Uh, there's a lemon on the cover, famous lemon on the cover of Simple. Simple, yeah. Uh, they've always been, you know, you know, grilled and preserved and, and, and zested and whatever, a, a million, a million ways with which I've worked with them. And, but Easter's sensibilities are slightly different. Although she loves lemons, she equally loves limes and her time in, in Mexico and Brazil as a child and, 
pe being with people of that background has made her love limes so much. So she, this actually in this book more let limes appearing than lemons. Um, and also with the chilies, because the chilies, chilies are a whole universe that we talk quite a lot in the book. Um, dried and fresh. And, and the one point that we're try Easter's trying to make all the time, and I, I'm also, is that chilies do so many things in food. And to learn to know what chilies do in food, different chilies do in food, is a wonderful ex journey of ex exploration, you know, so that how you get um, sweetness and chocolatiness and, and citrus and all those really intricate flavors in, in different dishes without having necessarily tons of heat is something that I think cooks would really benefit from understanding because it's just not a one thing. It's such a, it's such a, there's such a variety of things. We have a, an amazing flan, a dessert, which Oh my is God, that's, that looks yes. so good. That, is, that yeah. is the next thing on my list. I saw that last night. I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. And it's, it's introduced it and it's, it's just so simple. You know, everything goes into a food processor yep. and, then, and then goes through a sieve and it's, it's, a, it's essentially you have to make a caramel. At like a creme caramel, and then it goes into a water bath, and it's in the oven, and that's it. I mean, that's the, the that's the extent of cooking that you're doing, and it's magical. And and I I think that that's what chilies do in this book. They bring in in heat because we both like heat, uh, but not always. And and you can always control the degree to which you add the heat, but you can add the other attributes of chilies, and so cascabel chilies ancho chilies and, and the whole wide other variety of chilies are, are very prominent here. So they're a little oh. bit misunderstood, huh? People think, I think people think chilies are a bit of a one trick pony, but what you're saying is that they can do more. Absolutely. I mean, I think most people just think of them in terms of spicy heat um, and either whether you like that, whether you like things hot or whether you don't. And if I think quite a lot of people actually get, upset about how many recipes, how many Ottolenghi recipes have chilies. We get a lot of feedback from The Guardian, for example, like, why are really? but, it, but, but yeah, chilies aren't necessarily just about heat. And you can, like your says, you can control the amount of heat. You know, the, the heat is stored in the white pith, actually, not the seeds. So that's right, that's yeah. Remove the seeds because you actually want to remove that white as well. But that's just in fresh chilies. And then you've got you know, you've got mild fresh chilies, you've got hot fresh chilies, and then you've got all the different types of dried chilies, which, and most of those aren't that hot. I mean, habaneros, for example, are super hot, the dried habaneros, but casseroles, which we use, they're sort of more sort of chocolatey and um, fruity and ancho chilies that we use a lot yep. are smoky. And yeah, so it's, it's really just not, it's not about heat. It's not just about heat. I mean, we both love heat, but it's not just about that. It's about all of those different flavors. Yeah. Oh, well, that's well. That's good. I think it's great to, um, you know, that people <clears throat> do get that experience. And I think in Australia we we probably have a little bit more um, acceptance of, you know, of of the kind of chilies and love of that. And I think because so many Australians also, uh, even though we don't have that much uh, Mexican food ourselves here, have travelled. So many Australians have travelled to Mexico and around that area that they they're a little bit more. I'm hoping a little bit more familiar with what's available and we we can you know you have to do still have to go unfortunately to some specialist stores you can't get you know lots of different chilies from you know most supermarkets but there we do have those available so um the great part the great thing was is that as soon as i went and saw those cassavelle chilies i was like oh okay i definitely need to get some of those because you know i'm familiar with ancho and with you know those other ones so i like went on like you know just went on to google and looked up a place that um you know is like 20 minutes away from me and they they were like oh we're out of stock right now probably because everyone got their book yesterday and was going through and also <laughs> trying to buy them 
but that you were able to buy them. So I think that's also great that even though the, for some people they might look at it and be like, oh, you know, that looks like something I haven't used before, that these, in, these ingredients are still actually available for people, people to buy. It's not like you're asking them to do some sort of molecular gastronomy to, uh, to make their, to make their um, Sunday dinner or something. So um, I definitely, definitely <laughs> appreciate that. I was going to add on this kind of seeking out rare ingredients, which is, I think, part of the fun of cooking and, you know, a new dish is kind of going and seeking out an ingredient you haven't used before. One, that's one option, but we don't expect everybody to do that. And especially now with COVID, it's quite difficult to, uh, for people to, to um, source some of these ingredients. So we, we are quite consciously offering um, alternatives left, left, right and center, you know, to say, okay, okay if you want to go and get that, I mean, online is much easier than it used to be. But still, uh, if you can't get that, we always suggest alternatives. So I, I just, I just want to make it really clear that uh, although we do introduce new new ingredients in the book, the majority of the recipes in the book actually use uh, ingredients that you've seen us using before, uh, and and also every time there is a new ingredient or a rare ingredient being introduced, we, all, we really try to offer an alternative and say, okay, if you can't get this, do that. It's, it's, it's important because I, I don't want, some people that have this kind of immediate reaction, oh, I, I don't have that ingredient in the title, I can't make that. Can't make if it. You, yep. read, you read underneath the title, you'll, you'll see that <laughs> you can't actually. So, Yotam, uh, you have uh, most definitely increased sales of uh, Rose Harissa in Australia by many, many thousands of percent. Uh, so we're all quite familiar with that now. But tell us about black limes. What are black limes? Oh, okay. Well, actually, this is an ingredient that I've been using um, for quite a, few, quite a while. Years ago, I had a recipe for... Um, dried lime, a quinoa, and sweet potato salad with, that had both fresh limes and dried lime powder uh, that I just sticks to my, to my, comes to my mind now and a few other recipes. But uh, even in Plenty More or Plenty, I have a recipe that uses it. So it, it, I, I haven't always called it black lime. Sometimes it's called dried lime, Irani lime, Omani lime. These are all um, variations on a theme and that those are lemons or small lemons or limes that are dried in the sun mm -hmm. in, uh, around the Persian Gulf, uh, in the Gulf State, in Iran, in Iraq. And essentially what happens is that the flavor of the limes or the lemons really concentrates as they dry out and they become rock hard. Some of them go kind of dark or blonde brown and the others go dark black uh, so the black limes are the one we focus a lot on in this book because our colleague Noor Murad uh, she comes from Bahrain and there they use a lot of the black ones uh, so she's introduced quite a few of those black ones but you can substitute them so if you've got the, the paler varieties you can use the paler variety and it's a really it's a very unique flavor when you taste it it is so sharp it's almost like uh, it's almost like a mango dried mango powder I'm sure, you know, it's, or, or sumac, yeah. it's that kind of intense acidity, uh, uh, but again, something very different in the background. So I, it's, and it's quite easy to transport. So I, I suspect that it will be a popular ingredient once people start using it. <laughs> it just offers this really incredible acidity, really special, sometimes almost overpowering. So you need to kind of be a little bit careful how much of it you put in, but it's a, it's a wonderful ingredient that I, urge everyone to go and go out and seek because it's fantastic. Yeah, well, maybe that's an opportunity for us. Booktopia purveyors of 
Fine books and black lines. And black yes. lines. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> um, I, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, you, um, in the uh, pairing section of the book, you sort of identified that the four most important pairings were sweetness, fat, acidity, and chili heat. I know we've been talking a lot about chilies, um, but um, out of those those pairings, I was just wondering if there was one particular one sort of pairing that you find that people maybe misunderstand sort of the how to kind of um, get the most out of it. Um, you know, like, you know, do people, do you do find that people don't quite understand the sweetness? That's the one that I would imagine. I think people probably find the most difficult um, when, when making savory food, how to like add the sweetness without kind of, you know, going too far or, you know, what that can do. Um, sort of how have you sort of like, was there any, you know, how did you come across that? Did you, how did you find that that was, was there anything you were particularly trying to achieve with that to kind of explain to people how to do it? Or was there something that you thought, uh, hopefully now they'll, you know, this recipe will show people a, a new light on how to do something in this particular, you know, one of the pairings? Uh, well, I think, Sorry, that was a bit... <laughs> I think with all of those, um, what we tried to explain in the chapter opener is that although we're, we're shining a light on that particular thing, sweetness, acidity, chili heat, it's actually, more, most importantly, it's about the balance. And just because we're singling one out as maybe the USP of the dish doesn't, it, uh, doesn't mean that it's the only thing that's going on. And, you know, the acidity of a dish might be the most important thing and might be the thing that really makes it stand out, but it's gonna be too acidic if you don't then balance that out with a little bit of sweetness. Um, and same goes for sweetness. Like it's really lovely to have a sweet dish, but you, and that may be the thing that draws you most to it. Like, wow, how, how sweet this savory dish is, but it's only going to work if you then know how to balance it as well with a bit of sweetness or a bit of fat. So um, I think that is one thing that we try to explain in that chapter. So it's never one thing in isolation. It is always about balance. Um, yeah. But sometimes one of those elements is just the thing that shines it's the most. Yeah, and also the other thing about the, what Easter said is absolutely right, that you want to create a really nice balance. Uh, so, you know, fat balances acidity and vice versa and all those key things that are, happen. But also the, what, the, the recipes that ended up in the particular chapters, like the ones about chili heat or the ones about fat or acidity or sweetness, uh, they, often there's more than one element that is sweet or acidic or acidic or fatty or or hot in that particular dish and then you kind of get a multi-directional understanding of of what it is so um i'm just thinking like even like we're talking about black lime uh, so we have dishes that have black lime like the black lime tofu um which is really really delicious uh, but it has some, it has black lime, but it will have uh, fresh lime juice as well, and maybe some grated lime zest. So you, you understand the acidity more when you, when you see the whole range of, of flavors that come out through the title acidity. Uh, so, you know, when, whenever you use tamarind, often you add lemon juice or a bit of vinegar or, or a bit of or lime juice. So the tamarind is one kind of sour sweet flavor and you add another sour. So it all everything makes everything else shine. This is why the metaphor of the onion with all the layers is so perfect on the cover because it's all, the, it's all this layering. We constantly layer things, you know, one sweet element with another sweet element with another sweet element. And that's what makes the food interesting, exciting and, and complex. <clears throat> oh, sorry, absolutely. Um, 
I was just also wondering, uh, back to a point where you were talking about how much you were testing, um, testing recipes, you know, in the test kitchen to make sure that they, they worked. And I know that you said you, you already had quite a lot of recipes that you brought together and then worked them out. But was there something that you were, um, you know, a flavour combination or something that you were trying out that you thought you would be able to include in the book and then you just, it just turned out that those flavours did not at all go together? Or is it because you're, you know, you didn't have that issue because you're professionals and you know already kind of <laughs> what's go, what goes together? Um, I know that if I was trying to come up with something myself, I'm sure I would have lots of, um, you know, fails before I became, uh, I had a success. But, uh, you know, how did you guys find that? Um, well, I mean, I think we had this question yesterday in a, a talk that we did. Yeah. Um, and actually, there's never, I mean, as far as I've been working in the test kitchen for four years, there's never That's been right. a failure because either a dish just gets made as many times as it needs to be to, for it to be perfect or it morphs into something else. Something else. So yeah, I, well, there's never been a recipe that one of us has made and then we thought, oh, no, this is so bad that we're just gonna ditch it. It's always <laughs> either just improved or turned into something, something else. else. <laughs> or different, <laughs> or like one element has inspired something else. Yeah. Sometimes the, uh, what, we, what constitutes a dish is just a very simple thing, you know, like a combination of particular flavors and it doesn't work in this context, then we take those combinations and move it to the next thing. And like Easter says, that morphs into something else. We had a dish, we have a dish in the book that um, is based on a tomato, cardamom and lime sauce that we really loved. And we tried to make it into sweet potato uh, patties or meatballs or and to, to go into this sauce. And we just couldn't get those patties to to have the right texture or hold up or either they were too dry or they disintegrated or you know there was there was an agonizing process in which every member of the test kitchen has started tried making them at home and everybody failed and then essentially what happened is we just decided to take uh, the sweet potato and just cut them quite thickly and roast them and put them in the sauce so it's uh, it's roasted sweet potato honey sweet potatoes roasted and uh, in that particular sweet and sour sauce and it works really really well so it's it's nothing like what we started up up with because it was all about the the meatballs or the patties but it's definitely a derivative of the initial idea yeah well i think that's that's actually that's actually really quite comforting i think for a home for a home cook as well to know that even if something doesn't, you know, work out the first time, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not the right direction to go with and you should just keep trying and keep trying different things. Would you, would you agree that that's, the, that's a good philosophy to have? Don't just give up after one, one, one thing that doesn't work out exactly right. Try and figure out what, what it is that wasn't making it work and just keep, keep experimenting till you get it right. That seems like the philosophy that you guys are sort of are working with in the, in the test kitchen. Yeah, I'd say that's definitely how we work. <laughs> okay that's definitely good to know <laughs> um, so you guys have um you guys have uh denied having any uh failed or most hated dishes in the process of making this book um on the flip side um do you guys have a favorite dish out of all of the ones you've created this time well that was my question that's a good question oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one question we want to uh, know <laughs> everyone wants to know everyone always wants to know <laughs> That's the one question that you wake up in the morning and go, oh, today I like this, today I like that. And like, 
you know, like also you say, oh, I like all of them equally sometimes. But um, I have to say that there's there's kind of things that come back constant that I come back to constantly, and um, I love the the, sprout, the Brussels sprouts uh, with chestnuts and grapes. It's a sweet and sour dish that mm. is absolutely amazing. So uh, it's the the the, sprout, the chestnuts. And the uh, and the shallots and the grapes are sitting in a bath of Shaoxing wine, uh, soy sauce and rice vinegar, and become really like a typical sweet and sour uh, combination that is just so good. And then after the Brussels sprouts are roasted, they are added to that and sit in that in those flavors as well. So they bring a bit of the grilling smokiness uh, flavor with them. And then the, it's served with some um, quick pickled chilies. So it's a mm. it's a real fascinating take on the um on the christmas flavors you know the, the chestnuts, yep. the chestnuts. Yep. Um, but it's completely turned on its head and it's really moorish like you really want to eat that and uh, so yeah so this is one recipe that i'm sure to be cooking this christmas yeah um, most definitely how about you uh, Ixta? do you have uh, a favorite child uh, I, I have a few, uh, and yeah, like I always say, it kind of changes every time you flip through the book, but I think the ones that I keep coming back to that really mean a lot to me are the, the mushroom lasagna, and um, the ragu in that in lasagna is sort of based, is based on one of my favourite dishes in the world that, it, I mean, it's a pork ragu, but we've, we've now, we've recreated it with lots of different mushrooms, fresh mushrooms and dried mushrooms and um, yeah, porcini and black pepper and chili. And it's a really, really delicious lasagna. Um, so I'd say that one. And well, yeah, you asked for one, so there. That's <laughs> yeah, that, that one does look <laughs> amazing. And I wish I could talk my uh, my child into eating mushrooms. I think maybe I could just pretend that they're not well, mushrooms in that one. We don't like to describe things as meaty too much because that's not what we're necessarily trying to do. Yeah. But that ragu honestly is meaty um, yeah. and you know, maybe if you're trying to dupe a child you might want to just lower the levels of black pepper and chili in the dish but I would say like if, if you lower those and don't tell them that it's not just a meat lasagna you might they be might, able to get away with it. You might not know. Another thing you could do is try the uh, tray, bake, tray bake ragu uh, yeah. with as uh, barley and, and lentils and is masquerading as um, as a bolognese and um, and I and I think my kids love that and they're not mushroom lovers um, so again if you reduce all the you know the heat elements uh, and there are mushrooms there as well I think you can you can get them by your kids I think so mm. yeah and then you just have to keep that bottle of your own trusty chili sauce in the fridge yeah, as you say <laughs> You always need that. I went for I went for um, uh, a dinner, a very formal dinner once to celebrate the birthday of someone in the food industry, and and um, there was a chef there, and I can't I can't mention his name because I can't reveal his identity. But he, <laughs> the food was served. He brought his bag, and he mm -hmm. had like a, a, a series of chili oils, <laughs> and, and yeah. like literally, like even not like homemade, like shop bought, but I think really good quality chip, Chinese chili oils. And he started 
re-addressing the food. And I thought like, <laughs> oh my gosh, how can you be served by this famous chef and then you start to improve it by adding your chili oil to the table. <laughs> but I kind of saw where he was coming. I mean, it was, and it, yeah. but it, was, it was just hilarious. I think people do get addicted to their chili condiments and you kind of forget that it's possible to eat things without a chili condiment. It, it's a very easy pitfall to fall into. Yes, that, that has actually happened to me quite recently. I've discovered a, a local um, chef who makes their own chili oil with um, nine different kinds of chilies. Um, mm. She has a Mexican background as well. And um, I've become so obsessed with it that I am just eating, I'm just cooking, the only things I'm cooking are things that I can put with the chili oil. So yeah. <laughs> it's, even when I'm not hungry, I get home, I'm like, I'll just fry an egg so I can have the chili oil. So um, I'm very excited to be trying the, the recipes for um, the, numbing, the numbing oil particularly that you've got, yeah. um, you've got in the book because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that that is going to be my, my next obsession. So um, I, I think it'll be really interesting when, um, you know, everyone's starting to get their books now and I'm, I'm going to love to see what, what are the things that people are going to be posting on social media as the, <laughs> as the first thing that they're, um, that they're, that they're going to make. Um, That's right. What's, the next, uh, what's yeah. the next cauliflower cake? Because your cauliflower cake caused quite a sensation. <laughs> it, was a, it was a social media star all of its own. <laughs> um, I think the celeraic, I think, I think the way you talk about roasting a whole celeraic has completely changed my view on that vegetable. Um, so I, th I think that people will really be experimenting with a lot of different vegetables than they might um, you know, and flavors that they might not have um, have thought of before. And as you said, they're not all hard to get. A lot of them you can you can get very simply. So um, I, I think that this book has come at like the perfect time. People are spending more time in the kitchen, um, you know, than they probably expected that they would be doing this year. And um, you know, now now's the time. People are realizing, especially in Australia, that we're coming into summer, and they might want to go outside again. Um, they they put on a few extra kilos, so maybe some vegetable, you know. Focus dishes are the way to are the way to go. So I think you've um you've, you've literally brought out the book, the perfect book for the perfect time. So uh, thank you, well, thank you exactly. very much on behalf of everyone in Australia for that. Um, we really appreciate it. <laughs> um, and look, I wish we'd wrap up because you know we've kept you for a long time, and we do appreciate you giving us the the time to talk about the book. Um, I uh, I encourage everyone if they haven't already bought a copy, and uh, looking at the sales, quite a few people have already bought a copy, um, to uh, to uh, jump on our website and um, purchase it now. Um, thanks so much for chatting with us today, and uh, thanks to you all for listening. You can buy this uh, incredible book right now at booktopia.com.au, and you can listen to all of our podcast episodes for free right now on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au